Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. I am absolutely delighted uh, to be welcoming David, Garrison and Sonia here this evening. And I'm going to uh, welcome David Ford now. And uh, here's a little microphone for you, David. And we're going to have a little, a little interview with you, David, if that's okay. Uh, so I hope these questions aren't too hard. Uh, first of all, could you give us your theology of the rapture? No, that's not it. Don't worry. Don't worry. That, that, that's one for John, actually. Okay. Uh, no, I would, we'd just love to, to hear a little bit about uh, who you are and Sonia and tell us a little bit your life and what you do. Yeah, I'm, uh, I have roots that come from Northern Ireland. My mother's side of the family were Murs. Only in America they call them Moors. And um, uh, so it's been fun to bump into Murs at various places around Northern Ireland. Uh, my father's side was uh, uh, from hillbilly country back in North Arkansas. Uh, I grew up in Arkansas uh, when I was uh, about eight years old. I remember uh, on the way home from church, my mother asked me, so what did you learn in Sunday school today? And I said, well, they had the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I learned uh, from that story, I said, well, I believe in Jesus. What's to prevent me from being baptized at age eight? I think if I had known what a eunuch was, I would have had a whole different set of questions. But uh, that was a beginning point. I was baptized and... Uh, and then later gave my life to Christ uh, in Christian service, whatever he wanted me to do. And it's been a grand adventure. Got to marry my uh, high school sweetheart. We literally met at the altar. I was walking down the aisle to commit myself to a, a life of Christian ministry. Another family had just moved to town and joined our church. And I was 16. She was 14 or maybe 15 and 13. And Sonia and I met at the altar. And uh, six years later, I married her, went down a different aisle. And it's been a great adventure, 44 years now of, uh, of marriage, four kids and one granddaughter. So yeah, that's kind of a little background. Wow, fantastic, um, fantastic. Well, when I have been explaining who you are, I've been talking about your, your book, and I've been talking about uh, A Wind in the House of Islam. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the research or the thinking that brought about that book? Yeah, I'm a... I, call myself a phenomenologist, where you look at a phenomenon and you try to describe it accurately and then see what you can learn from it. And uh, one of the phenomena that we discovered when Sonia and I were, we went as missionaries to Libyan Arabs. We lived in North Africa. One of the things we discovered in that phenomenon was that Muslims are tough. <laughs> They're not just racing to the baptistry. Uh, they are sort of a, a religion that's been defined against Christianity. And so uh, that was in the early 1990s. In the early 2000s, we moved to India, and we had partners working with us with names like Muhammad and Islam, and they were sharing the gospel at the mosque, and they were bringing others to faith in Christ. And we started hearing reports, rumors of movements, and being a phenomenologist, I wanted to study that phenomenon. So I was approached one day by a, a foundation that said, look, we're getting requests to help support work in places like Iran and places like North Africa. And we're, it's solidly Islamic, and yet we're hearing reports of thousands of Muslims coming to Christ. And this particular fellow said, I was a missionary in Bosnia. He said, I know how tough Muslims are. He said, you work with Libyans. 
you know how tough they are. I said, is it possible that this is true? And I said, well, it's sort of been on my bucket list to find out. So he said, well, if you'll go and, and explore this, we will support you in your research. Uh, over, I didn't know really what that meant at the time. I spent the next three years, traveled a quarter of a million miles through the Muslim world in every corner from West Africa to Indonesia and everywhere in between. And what I discovered was, quite frankly, that uh, we were under-evaluating what God was doing in the Muslim world today. In fact, we are living, and I can document this and have done so in A Wind in the House of Islam. Would you give me that book? Thanks. That, um, and I'm not trying to sell books here. I'm trying to tell you about something exciting that God is doing. But we're in the midst of the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in history. And I say that as a church historian, I did my doctorate at the University of Chicago. And whenever you make an unprecedented claim as a historian, you're asking for someone to shoot it down. So I have said more Muslims are coming to Christ today than at any time in human history. Yeah. And I've documented it, I've not had it shot down yet. Mm. So uh, I, that's why uh, I went into this research, was able to interview more than a thousand Muslims who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, each one of them was part of a movement of at least a thousand in their community who had come to faith and baptism. So these are not just fans of Jesus, but people for a Muslim to be baptized is saying, I'll die for this. Mm. This is literally passing from death into life. And, uh, mm. and that's, that's the message I'm here to say. Today is, today, today is the day of salvation for Muslims. Wow, wow. Well, that's a round of applause for that, isn't it? <laughs> um, but unbelievably encouraging to hear that. Um, can you tell us a, a little bit, a few stories or, or, or a little bit more about how, how is this happening? What, what is God doing in the Muslim world? Sometimes I think God has a great sense of humor. And uh, we have an expression where I grew up in Arkansas that God can hit straight with a crooked stick. And uh, he's using a lot of crooked sticks. Fortunately, each one of us is a bit of a bent stick. <clears throat> but God uses us, and he does things in spite of us sometimes. And that's one of the things we're seeing. One of the greatest uh, evangelists in, uh, in the Muslim world turned out to be Joseph Stalin. Uh, yeah, that Joseph Stalin. Yeah, the horrible things that he did. One of the things he discovered was that <clears throat> he had all of these um, uh, Baptist German people who were fleeing from conscription in the Prussian armies and the German armies, and they were welcomed by Catherine the Great into Russia. But suddenly he finds himself at war with Germany, and he's got all of these uh, brethren and Mennonites living in his country. So he just exiled them all to Central Asia, which was the heart of Islam in Central Asia. And it was there that many of the people who were in that area, who were uh, Kazakhs and Uzbeks and Kyrgyz, saw their first Christians who didn't have a gun pointed at them because these were pacifists. Uh, God used someone like Stalin, a bent stick, mm -hmm. to drive people into a situation where they would encounter the gospel uh, with Muslims. A similar thing happened to the Ayatollah Khomeini. We've discovered the Ayatollah Khomeini. Who would have thought that he would be the greatest evangelist in Iranian history? Because if you asked the thousands and thousands of Iranian Muslims who are coming to faith in Christ today, you know, why did you come to Christ? They said, we were running away from Islam. Uh, they had the experience of seeing that vision of an Islamic state realized, and as a result, many of them said, 
If this is Islam, there must be something else. Tragically, many of them turn to drugs, many of them turn to atheism or secularism or hedonism, but tens of thousands of them today have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we can point back to that remarkable fellow, the Ayatollah Khomeini, God bless him, <laughs> for revealing to many Iranians that what they really wanted was Jesus Christ in their life. And so when we see a tragedy in our world today, in the Muslim world, and there's so much violence and so much hostility. I mean, the Taliban, we've got a friend in our hometown in Colorado uh, named Kasim. And we asked Kasim, how did you become a believer? He was baptized in a little river in, uh, near Mazar-Sharif in northern Afghanistan. He said, well, it was the Taliban, really, that led me to Christ. I said, how is that? He said, well, after they drove the Russians out, back in the early 90s, they came into our town, and they saw that I was wearing a shirt that I'd picked up from some Russian soldier, and they assumed I was a soldier in the Russian army. So they threw me in prison and made me pray five times a day. And each time I prayed, I said, if this is God's way, I'm going to go a different way. Mm. He said, later when they released me, three months later, he said, one of my coworkers said, I found this Bible that someone left here. It's in the Dari language, the language of Afghan Persian. And he said, do you want it? So I took it and I read it and I discovered that God has a better way. And I fell in love with Jesus. And so I was baptized there in one of those rivers. He now lives with his family in Colorado. But God uses these bent sticks, these unexpected, uh, horrible things to bring people to a realization of their need for Jesus. And so when you hear about violence in the news and you hear about the tragedies, pray that God will use that to awaken people to their need for a Savior who transcends this world and reaches into their lostness and loves them. Wow. And this is not a scripted question, but can I ask you a question Please. as well? You can say it, pass if you want. Um, but I, I imagine uh, some people who are here tonight we are like myself. We've heard stories of, um, of God speaking to, to Muslim people through dreams and visions, more so than maybe you may hear about happening in Northern Ireland. Is that reality um, in your research and experience? Yeah, you know... Uh, Someone asked me one time, I said, why do Christians in the West not have dreams and visions? I said, well, you can thank a guy named Sigmund Freud for that. You know, every now and then we talk about our dreams, it just sounds horrible. So we, we just sort of suppress them. And the Muslim world hasn't really been that way. Going back to the prophet Muhammad, who had dreams and visions, and he said, God can speak to you through dreams and visions. And so his people, Islamic people, down through the ages, have had much more of a sensitivity to them. It's very biblical, as you know. It's not that dreams and visions aren't throughout the Bible, mm -hmm. but it's not so common in our Western worldview. Um, and tragically, we miss the fact that God can speak to these people through dreams and visions. Oftentimes, what we hear from them, there's a real common one in which they see this being. He's just glowing bright as the sun. He's shining. They can't quite make out his face. He's reaching out to them in love. We hear that again and again and again. And uh, sadly, some of our, uh, I'm a Baptist, you know, and one of our Baptist missionaries in Central Asia, he was actually a Baptist pastor, someone we'd led to Christ, and, and uh, he had this Kazakh woman. I, I know the story because she told it. She said, I had this dream of this being glowing bright as the sun. I went to the Baptist pastor and I told him I was having this dream. Uh, could he help me? And he says, well, we don't believe in dreams and visions. And she said, so I went and found a Pentecostal who told me what it meant. <laughs> and what he did is he simply opened up Matthew chapter 17. 
and he had her read it in the Kazakh language. She read the first four verses. You remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration? And she reads about how Jesus went up with, with his closest disciples up to a distant mountain. And while he was there, they saw him transfigured and his face and his clothes shone as bright as the sun, whiter than any, anything could wash them. And when she read that passage, she said, that's the guy. That's the one in my dream. Who is this? And the wise response was, why don't you keep this book and read the rest of it and let's get together and talk in a couple of days. Now that's how God's at work. Dreams and visions uh, have probably been happening in the Muslim world for 1400 years. Today, they're being met with God's word in the heart language of the people. They're being met with Christians who are praying for them and loving them and willing to give them a reason for the hope within them. And it's, it's that divine cocktail. You know, it's not just the dreams and visions. It's the combination of that with God's word, with people praying, and with faithful witnesses who are willing to give that still small voice pointing to Jesus that's bringing Muslims to faith in Christ today. Awesome. Uh, I've read about an organization called Global Gates that yes. you're involved with. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, about... Uh, Eight, nine years ago, uh, Sonia and I were, um, I was called up by a fellow who was working with a ministry called Global Gates in New York City. And he said, would you just, you and your wife, come out. We want to do some prayer walking through some of these ethnic neighborhoods. And I thought, well, you know, our focus has always been the ends of the earth. We wanted to be over somewhere in the middle of the Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist world. But as we walked through some of these neighborhoods in Queens, New York, uh, we saw, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, the tens of thousands of Yemenis, and the, the thousands of Tibetan Buddhists, and the Sikhs by the hundreds of thousands who have come to the West, and they were all here in our Western cities. If they haven't come to your city yet, they're coming. They're coming. We're in the midst of the greatest global migration in human history, over 65 million people have left their country and they're on the move somewhere. And they're eventually gonna discover what a great place Darlingstown is. This is where they're gonna to wanna to come, wouldn't you, right? You came here, don't think they're not gonna follow you. The question is, what do you do about it? Well, what amazed us was that not only did we see neighborhoods that were just full of Yemeni Muslims, they were all speaking the Yemeni dialect of Arabic and they were on their phone talking with their family back in Yemen. And we discovered that what had happened here was it, it, it rang a bell with a little uh, statue I saw in, uh, in Belfast outside the library there. You've seen the statue, the C.S. Lewis. Uh, there's this uh, park bench where a guy's sitting on the bench and he's just imagining. And behind him there's a wardrobe and the door is slightly opened. These wardrobes, you remember the story, you step through the wardrobe and you appear in Narnia. Well, friends, God has placed wardrobes in global gateway cities all over the world now. You can go into uh, Jackson Heights, a district of Queens, New York, and there's 236 languages spoken in Jackson Heights. It's unbelievable. You can literally eat your way through the Great Commission, going from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant, and find every kind of unreached people group you can imagine. And it's not just that you're reaching them here, but through them you're reaching back to the other side of the world. And that's what Global Gates is about. Our, our vision statement is reaching the ends of the earth through global gateway cities. And I can say to you here in Darlingstown, a global gateway city is coming to your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. God is bringing the ends of the earth 
to you. And he's doing it for a purpose so that they might possibly reach out for him and find him. And where they're going to find him is in you. So be ready. God said, if you're not going to go as a missionary, I'll bring the mission field to you. And uh, then see how you like it, right? So it's a great opportunity, and we praise God for this. So inspiring. Uh, what are some practical ways that we as individuals or churches can partner with God in reaching uh, Muslims for Christ? Well, Simon, that's such a great question because it really is God's work, isn't it? This isn't our work. And by his grace and mercy, he allows us to be a part of it. And always the first step is prayer. You know, when you pray, you're protesting against the status quo. You're saying it's not God's will that the ends of the earth should remain in darkness. And when you pray, you begin to take on the heart of God. So uh, we have every year, uh, for the last 30 years, we've had this thing called 30 Days of Prayer for the Muslim world. How many of you have heard of that? Have you ever heard of that? So during the month of Ramadan, Muslims all over the world, you know, hundreds of millions of Muslims are fasting and praying. And we said, wouldn't it be great if we as Christians fasted and prayed with them? And if we didn't fast, that's not really a Baptist thing to do. But we'll pray. And we prayed with them and say, Lord, please bring your gospel to the Muslim world. And it's really been in that last 30 years since this prayer effort around the world. It's in multiple languages everywhere. It's during that 30 years that we've seen more Muslims come to Christ than at any time in history. So I think it begins with prayer. If you don't know how to pray for Muslims, let me give you a little tip. Here's how you can pray for Muslims by name, personally, every day. You say, God, please save Muhammad. About 30% of the Muslim men in the world are named Muhammad. And then when you go down to your, your restaurant, your favorite cafe or your pharmacy, and you see the little name badge and it says Muhammad, you can say, I've been praying for you. <laughs> All right, so God save Muhammad. First thing is prayer. The second thing is really just learning how God is at work today. One of the things I discovered in my study of 14 centuries of Muslim movements to Christ, there's been almost none. And we as Christians are the world's greatest at not winning Muslims to Christ. We're number one. Yay us. So why is it changing today? What's happening? Well, that's something we as the body of Christ have to shift from being the knowers to being the learners and saying, Lord, teach us. How can we be effective fishermen to draw Muslims into your kingdom? Because God clearly has them on his agenda. He's given them dreams and visions. The question is, what can we do to provide scriptures in their language, to try to uh, connect with them in ways that, that, that build a bridge to them and not a wall, and that come to them as good news and not as an attack. So we've got a lot to learn, and that's one reason I wrote this book was so that we would have at least insights. Tell us, is the question I ask Muslims everywhere who come to Christ, tell me, what did God use? to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. And the more we can learn how God is at work, the more we can spread our sails and catch the wind of his Holy Spirit and be used by him to participate in this great season of harvest. Mm. Amen. Amen. Do you want any more questions? I'm open. Uh, <laughs> well, tell us, what can we pray for, for you and for Sonia and for your work? Wow. <clears throat> We have been blessed. Uh, I feel like sometimes, like um, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, you know, when the, the 72 came back and they told all these amazing things that had happened, he said, you know, kings and prophets long to see what you've seen, but they did not. And I feel like 
we are living in such an exciting time and God's allowed us to see things. I just want to share this with the body of Christ. I want to encourage you. I know there's people in Northern Ireland who've been sending out missionaries literally for hundreds of years. They've been praying. I, I, I was in a prayer group uh, last time I was through here. They said, we've been meeting faithfully every week for over a hundred years, praying for world evangelization. And I just want to share with you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God is using you. Don't lose heart. Do not grow weary in well-doing because God is bringing forth a harvest as a result of your participation in what God is doing. So I want to thank you and God bless you and encourage you. We're near the, the, the final leg of the race and don't lose heart, but press on to the high calling God's given you. God bless you. Brother. Right of applause. Thank you so much. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.